Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 10, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of 1 Samuel. We've been going verse by verse, passage by passage. We're seeing this is the point. The nation of Israel is about to move from the time of the judges to the times of the kings. And this morning, as we got it, with this, it's the public announcement of Saul as the first king. As we're going to see, we'll see a private anointing right at the start of the chapter, and at the very end of the chapter is the public anointing. And Samuel has brought the nation together. He's going to show them God's choice of the king that the people wanted. As we look at the chapter, there's several things we're going to think about. First of all, the sovereignty of God as he works out all these events. You're going to see that he tells Saul, he says, Saul, you're going to go back. And he says, three things are going to happen to you. And they're very specific. And all three happen exactly. God's in complete control. The second thing is the change in Saul. He becomes, as it says, a new person. And we're going to talk about that. What does it mean he becomes a new person? And we're going to see his early leadership. And then we see God's power actually given to Saul. The Holy Spirit comes upon on him. We'll talk about what that means, how that fits together as we go through our study. Well, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, lay aside every weight. It says, uh, lay aside every weight in the sin that does so easily entangle you and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. When we think about the Christian life, we, we salvation begins, of course, with faith alone in Christ alone. When we trust in Jesus, we're saved and saved forever. And then that begins what we call our Christian life, and we're supposed to run the race with endurance. And, and, and we don't always realize that the Christian life is a I mean, it's a marathon. It goes on and on and on. It's day after day, step by step. That's why he says run the race with endurance. Sometimes Christians think the Christian life is like a 100-yard dash, and they start off really well, but they don't finish very well. All of us in our lives said, could look around and say to ourselves, okay, I, I've known people in my life that for a while they were really fired up, it seemed like, and, and then they just sort of faded away. When you think about somebody like Paul, what did he say? At the end of his life, he said, I fought the fight. I ran the race. I kept the faith. Our goal is that we start well and we finish well. Well, as we see Saul this morning, he's going to start well. And the problem is this. Saul starts well, but he does not finish well. And so over these next few weeks, as we look at Saul and he becomes the king and what he does, we'll see that he starts great, but he doesn't end very well. He's a man who lives by his passions and desires rather than in the service of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we see the beginning of the kingdom today. We've been going through this, and we talked about that Samuel was the last of the judges, and now it's now the first of the kings. Let me remind you of, our, of where we are in history. There was a time of the judges in which God would raise up leaders to turn the nation of Israel back to God and have victory over their enemies. The very last judge is the man named Samuel. From the time he was a little boy all the way up, he's been at the tabernacle, he served God, he, he brings great victory to defeat the Philistines, he turns the nation back to God, Everything seems to be good until Samuel gets old. And when he gets old, he has his sons that start helping him, and they're not good. In fact, they take bribes and they do wrong things. So the people come to Samuel and they say, Samuel, you're old. Your kids are not following after you. We want to have a king like everybody else. And so we saw that, and we saw that they came and they did two things wrong. First, two things were wrong. One, it was the wrong time and the wrong reason. It was the wrong time because God had promised a king. He promised it back even in Deuteronomy that there was going to be a king. It's just not the right time. The second is they got the wrong reason. They wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted somebody to lead them. They got to realize that in Israel, God was the king. 
And so what they've really said is, we don't want God to be our king. We want a man king. We want, we want us to pick a man to lead us like everybody else. And, of course, we found that that was wrong. And, and the God, it, Samuel, when Samuel, they told Samuel that, Samuel said, well, well, that's bad. And he goes to God, and God says, Samuel, first of all, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. They've rejected me from being king over them. Now, let's do this. Let's give them what they want. Let's give them a king. So Samuel told everybody to go back to their homes and that that they'd get a king, they'd get one. Well, the next thing we find out is there's a man by the name of Saul. He's the son of a man named Kish. They're fairly wealthy. They lost some donkeys, and so the, the father, Kish, says to his son Saul, I want you to take a servant. Y'all go find the donkeys. Well, they get out there, and they can't find the donkeys. They get to a point, and they finally say something like, let's just go into, there's a village around here somewhere where the, the prophet of God Samuel is. See, Samuel was a prophet, a priest, and a judge. And they said, let's go ask him. Maybe he can tell us about the donkeys. Well, when they get there, what nobody knows, and even Samuel doesn't know, the day before, God told Samuel there's going to be a man coming to meet him the next day at the same time, and that man would be the one that would be the king. And so as they get to the place, here comes Samuel, here comes Saul. Samuel says to Saul, I'm having a banquet today. You're at the banquet, and we find out that the whole banquet was ultimately for Saul, and that's where Saul is told, you're going to be the king of Israel. In fact, after they spent the night, the next morning they got up, and as they were leaving, Samuel looked at Saul and said, send your servant on ahead. And so he went on ahead, and he went and told him. I want you to look at chapter 9, look at verse 27. This is right before where we'll start. It says, as they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, say to the servant that he might go ahead of us and pass on, but you remain standing now, and I may proclaim the word of God to you. He's fixing to say, I'm fixing to tell you what God has said. And this, this is what we're going to see. We're going to begin by seeing the private anointing, that's at the very beginning of the chapter, and then the public answer, the public, the public uh, time in which they're going to tell everybody who the king is. Let me give you the outline. It's a very short one. It's a long chapter. We're going to go through it very quickly. But you see in first, the, very, the beginning is the private anointing. Then there's the signs. I want you to see the signs. When we go through this, I want you to see how exact what God tells Saul, and then uh, the reporting when they get home, and then the public announcement that Saul is the new king. Now, I want you to read with me. Look at chapter 10. Look at verse 1. It says, Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance. What are they doing? Well, in that day and time, there were prophets and priests, and now this is going to be the first king, and they were anointed. Anointed means they would take oil, and they would pour it over the head of the person. It was symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon a person, and it set them apart for service. So prophets were set apart, priests were set apart, and now we're going to see right here that the very first king is set apart, the anointed one. So there were three groups that were anointed, prophets, priests, and King, kings, we realize that Jesus Christ the Messiah is called the anointed one because he would be the prophet, priest, and king. It was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Think about this, that Jesus is the great prophet because he is the living word of God who speaks the word of God. Jesus is the great priest who offered himself. He's the great high priest who offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin. Jesus is the great king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords who rules in righteousness and justice. So when you read the Bible and it talks about 
about the anointed one of God. It's talking about Jesus as the prophet, priest, and king. And so now we're going to see Samuel anointing Saul as the first king. So chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his enemies? He basically says, God has made you the king. Now, God's working on all the events. So let's just be real honest. They're not supposed to have a king. They're, the king is God. God rules through them and through all the people. But they wanted a king like everybody else. So God says, okay, you want a king like everybody else? I'll give you a king. So this is the one that God has for the people. And so he's just now anointed Saul as the first king. Now, I want you to see something that uh, is pretty amazing that he set apart. And then God's going to get very specific. He's going to give him three signs. So let me ask you something. If you're Saul... And, and Samuel pours this over your head and says, you now the king. What do you do? Do you say, whoa, I'm the king. People are going to start bowing down to me, I guess. I mean, you know, he's, he thinks he's the king. What would you do? Would you even say, is this real? Is this for sure? Have you ever had something happen and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this real? Is this for sure? Is this? And I think Saul is going to say, is this real? And so Samuel says to him, I'm giving you three specific things that are about to happen to let you know that this is all exactly right. So let's look at the very first sign. It's first found in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 2. Look what he says. When you go from me today, when you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zilza, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father ceased to be concerned about the donkeys, and he is anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? He says, listen, you're going to leave, and when you get close to where Rachel is buried, Rachel's tomb, two men will come up to you, and they're just going to look at you and say, oh, by the way, the donkeys have been found, and your father is worried about you. The donkeys have been found. And so these two men near Rachel's tomb, that's what's going to happen first. And what we realize as we look at this, that God solves the problems, the problem of the lost donkeys, the problems of what to do. So God solves the problems and deal with problems even in our lives. Well, let's see the second sign. It's in verse 3 and 4. Look what he says. Then you'll go further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor, and there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. He says, we're going to go up there, and you're going to meet three men. One's going to be carrying three goats. One's going to be carrying three loaves of bread. Another's going to be carrying one. Is this pretty specific? I mean, he's going to meet three men. One of them's got three goats. One of them's got three loaves of bread. And one of them's carrying one. And what's going to happen? He says, they're going to give you two loaves of bread, and you're supposed to take them. You're supposed to take them. Why? Because what God supplies all our needs. That's what he's showing him. Then there's the third sign, and the third sign, they're going to meet a company of prophets. Now watch this. Afterwards, you'll come to the hill. This is the third thing. Afterwards, you'll come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Now, that's pretty specific. You get there, as soon as you get into the city, you'll meet a group of what we call the sons of the prophets. They're going to be coming. They've got all these musical instruments, and they will be prophesying. And prophesying means that they're giving out 
word, the word of God. They're giving out revelation from God. You remember at that time, at the time of, of Samuel and, and, and then later on, uh, Elijah and Elisha, there were schools of prophets. There were men that wanted to be set apart for God that it would almost be like we'd call going to seminary or something, and yet they were set apart, and God used them. And he said, you're going to find a group of these men when you get there, and they'll be coming out playing music and they will be prophesying. They'll be giving out revelation from God. That's what they're going to be doing. And, and so that will be the sign, a company of prophets. And then notice what happens in verse 6. And, and something is really going to happen here. It says, then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them, and they'll be changed and to another man. Now, he says, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will declare revelation. Well, what is he talking about? Listen, you understand this, that now, when we, when any of you, we trust in Jesus Christ to give us eternal life and we believe in him to, to give us life forever, that exact moment, God the Holy Spirit comes to indwell every one of us. Okay. In the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. A person could believe but not necessarily have the Holy Spirit. In fact, it, sometimes the Holy Spirit would come upon people, sometimes temporarily to do things. There was a man by the name of Belazel, and he, the Holy Spirit came upon him to help him make articles for the tabernacle. He says that, Saul, when you get there, at a certain point, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Now, that Holy Spirit coming upon Saul is to give him power to be the king to lead the people. Now, let me tell you, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit uh, could leave people. That had nothing to do with salvation. Now, in the New Testament, when we say, does a person have the Holy Spirit? If you're a believer, automatically you have the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit can never leave. The Holy Spirit indwells in us permanently. So we can't ever say, well, I hope the Holy Spirit doesn't leave me. The Holy Spirit can't leave you. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could leave. In fact, we're going to see that Saul is going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, and later on, several chapters later, the Holy Spirit's going to leave Saul. So we'll talk about it. It has nothing to do with salvation. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and it says, and you will prophesy. Saul is going to begin to speak. Now, there, here's, here's something that is unusual. He says, you will be changed into another man. You'll be changed into another man. What does that mean? Some people say this, and let me just tell you, there's, there's two ways to look at this because we don't really know. It could mean that that is the moment that Saul actually believed in the coming Messiah and understood about the salvation, and right then is when he is actually a believer and he was changed. That's a possibility. He's born again, as we call it. The other view is that he's already been a believer and he's changed in the sense that now he's ready to do the word of God, to do the will of God. He's, he's going to ready to be the king. If, if, if I look at the passage, I think, I'm just saying this, I think uh, how I would look at it is it, this may be the time that he actually believes, okay? But we don't know. So it could be that he's just, God's just changed him and he's ready to go, or it could be that he's actually become a believer. Now, I want you to realize that when we look at this, God gives him the Holy Spirit, so God gives the power that we need. He always does that. There are two things I want you to see about Saul here. One, the Holy Spirit comes, and the second, Saul becomes a new person. Now, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The Holy Spirit gives us power to live. And then the second thing is 
Saul is going to be changed into another man, as I read while ago. What does that really mean? Could it mean that he was regenerated, that he became a new creation in Christ? Or new creation in the Old Testament, they didn't say it that way, new creation in Christ. They just said you had to be born again. Is this when he's born again? I wanted to stop for just a second and talk a little bit about what we call regeneration or being born again. The Bible says that regeneration is when God gives spiritual life to the believer. We all come into this world, born in this world, before we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, before we believe in Him, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are spiritually dead. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you're made spiritually alive. It's called regeneration. And that's why I said I don't know whether this is Saul actually being becoming a believer and being regenerated or whether it's something else, we don't really know. But we think about this, I want to show you. This is an unbeliever. An unbeliever has a body. It has a soul which relates to the world around us. That's where you have a mind, emotion, and will. You have a conscience which tells you right from wrong. We know this going all the way back to Adam and Eve. After the fall, God said, now that you know right from wrong. We have conscience that actually has the Word of God written on our hearts, and yet what you can do is as you do things wrong enough, your conscience will not bother you anymore. You can call what they call sear your conscience. And then we also, this as an unbeliever, we have the body, the conscience, so we have the flesh, which is called the old man. It's called the bent to sin. It's called sin within us. It is the natural bent to sin. Now, the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, the moment you trust, believe in Him for eternal life, you become a new creation in Christ. You are born again. I put the word human spirit. The Bible just says you're made spiritually alive, and you are dead in trespasses sins. Now you're alive, and so every one of us in this room who have believed in Jesus Christ, you were dead in trespasses sins, and now you are spiritually alive, and for us, the Holy Spirit actually comes to live inside of us. So every one of us in this room who have trusted in Christ, we have a body, we have a conscience, we have a soul, we have a flesh, a natural bent to sin. We are a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You're a new person in Christ, and you have God, the Holy Spirit, permanently living in you. Saul had the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't permanent. In the Old Testament, it wasn't permanent. In the New Testament, in the church age where we are, it is permanent. You can see a problem, the flesh and the spirit. That's why Galatians says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against spirit, spirit against flesh, contrary one to another. There's a spiritual battle going on inside of every one of us who know Christ as Savior. We have the natural bent to sin that pulls us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that pulls us the other way. That's the battle that's going on. So when we see Saul, and and just to be able to understand, uh, we just don't know exactly what happens, but I want you to understand regeneration, which is God makes us alive. And if I, if you said to me, you have to pick something, I would say this may be the time that Saul becomes a believer because it says you'll be changed into another man. That's what he says. When he says these things are going to happen to to you, and first he says when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires. For God is with you. Do what I've told you to do. As we look at this passage, Saul, Samuel reminds Saul that God solves the problems. Donkeys have been found. God supplies the needs, gives them the bread. God supplies the power. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. So that's it. Now, what happens? What happens? Well, he gives him one final instructions, and here's what he says to him. Verse 8, you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come, and I'll show you what to do. He says, so go on and do your whatever, and then uh, we'll meet later. The fulfillment. 
And what I want you to understand, look at verse 9. Then it happened that when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. And all the signs came about on that day. Everything happened just like God said. It all happened. God changed him. He was different. All the signs happened just like he said. Now, let me tell you something. Everything God says always comes true. Everything that God says, everything we're going to see in a minute, that every one of these signs, they come true. It says they all came about just like God said. I want you to understand something. In the Bible... In the first coming of Jesus Christ, he left the glories of heaven, became a human being, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, sended back to heaven. Every promise and every prophecy dealing with the first coming of Jesus Christ was fulfilled exactly perfect every time, every one of them. Many have said that there's over 300 prophecies dealing with Jesus' first coming. Now, Jesus promises a second coming in which he'll come to the earth as the king of kings or the lord of lords. It'll be what he calls a judgment there as he comes, the judgment of the separation of the sheep and the goats. He'll set up a kingdom. He'll rule for a thousand years. There'll be a great white throne judgment, and then he'll set up an eternal state. Let me tell you something. Every one of those promises, they will come true. Just like every promise for his first coming came true exactly right, every promise for his second coming is going to come true exactly right. You can just count on it. God's word is true. He said, Samuel, he said, Saul, Samuel said to Saul, you're going to meet those two guys? He did. You're going to meet those three guys? He did. You're going to meet the comp- company of prophets? He did. Look what happens in verse 10. When they came up to the hill, therefore a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, and he prophesied with them. He begins to speak the word of God. It came about that when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied with the prophets, people said to one another, what's happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? I mean, Saul was just a normal guy, and suddenly he's hanging around with the prophets, and he's talking like a prophet. And so people said, who is that? Are y'all sure that's the right guy? Is he a prophet? A man said, now, is he the father? Is this really Kish's son? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? People were saying things like, is Saul really one of the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came up to the high place. He finally went back home. Now watch what happens, and this might surprise you, but watch what happens. When Saul's uncle said to him, now he gets, gets home, and Saul's uncle says to him, this is his, 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 his dad's brother, he said to him and his servant, where did you go? And he said, we went to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they could not be found, we went to Samuel. Now let me tell you something, Samuel's famous. Samuel's a prophet, a priest, and a judge. Everybody in the whole nation knows who Samuel is. And so his uncle, when he says, and we went to Samuel, he went, Samuel? Saul's uncle said, tell me, what did Samuel say to you? Now, what's he going to say? What would you say? Well, we might say something like this. I'm the king. Guess what? I'm the king. He he anointed me as king. People are going to have to start bowing down, and I'm going to have my own place. I might even get a palace someday. Who knows? I mean, I'm the king. God has picked me out as the king. What would you say to him? Well, he didn't do that at all. Watch what he says. Verse 16, so Saul said to his uncle, he told, Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. That's what he tells him. But he did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom which Samuel had mentioned. What? He didn't tell about the kingdom. Why? 
Well, could he be embarrassed about the fact that he's supposed to be the king and he doesn't feel like a king? He doesn't know what a king's supposed to do? Could it be he's not sure what's going to happen? Because, I mean, Samuel just told him this stuff. He doesn't really know. And could it be that he says, I'm, just, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And uh, so this is where we are. And so what happens? We're going to see the public announcement. Watch this. If you remember... When the nation came to, they, the leaders came to Samuel and they said, we want a king. And Samuel said, okay, God's going to give you a king. Everybody go home. They all went home. Now he's calling them all back to tell them who the king is. Look at verse uh, 17. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. They've come. They've come. And he goes on to say, uh, and, and by the way, let me, let me stop for a second. This should have been a really great day. But it's not. See, you're thinking, man, they're going to have their first king and everybody's all pumped up and they're all coming together. But the truth is, you know why they're having a king? Because they rejected God. They rejected God to get a human king. And this is what Samuel's going to tell them when he brings everybody together. Watch what he says. He then said to the sons of Israel, verse 18, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the land of the, uh, the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. He says, do you remember what God did for you? You were in Egypt, you were in slavery, he brought you out, he did all the plagues, he got you all the way through there, he got you into the land, you conquered Sihon and Ahog of Heshbon, and you came in and you conquered all the cities and you took over the land. Did not God do that for you? Has he not done everything for you? And if we stopped right now, and I said, here's what we're going to do, we're going to have everybody line up right here, and I'm going to have everybody come up, and I want you to spend 30 seconds telling what great thing God has done for you. Every one of us could do it. Now, you probably don't want to come up here and do that, but every one of us could do that, right? I mean, I could tell you, I could say in 30 seconds, I said, I remember when I was 19 years old, I walked down the hall, walked into a Bible study, didn't know it was a Bible study. They shut the door. I couldn't get out. Heard the message of salvation, trusted Jesus. Okay? And I heard the grace message of salvation. Not a confused message, but the grace message of salvation. So in 30 seconds, I could tell you what great thing God has done for me. You could too. He's telling them what great thing God has done for them, but then watch the next verse. But you today, verse 19, have rejected your God who delivers from all your calamities and your distresses, yet you have said, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves to the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Listen, you've rejected God. See, this is not a happy day. You've rejected God. You want to be like all the other nations and have a king. You want a human king to go before you. So he says, I want everybody to get in their groups, everybody to get in the groups. And so they're going to cast lots. Now, uh, if you look at verse 20, it says, Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel together, and the tribes of Benjamin were taken by lot. Lots were usually either stones, some stones or pieces of wood, and they were used to help tell things. And God used them sometimes because Proverbs 16.33 says, Even though a man throws down the lot, God gives the answer. God's in control of everything. So they, they did this. They cast out lots, and they said, Tribe of Benjamin, all the rest of the tribes, you can go sit down. Okay? Now we got nothing but the tribe of Benjamin left. And then he goes on to say, and he brought the tribe of Benjamin nearby its families, and the Mitrite family, uh, the Mitrite family was taken. So that family was picked out of all the families. And then it says, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But they looked for him, and he couldn't be found. Can you imagine that here's Samuel, he throws it all out, and he says, and the next king, the first king is Saul. Saul, come on, Saul. He's not there. People are going, that's a, that's a great start for a king. He's not even here. Where is he? 
Well, where is he? We don't, well, where is he going to be? We don't know. And so it says, this is a part that I don't have an answer for you. That says, therefore inquired further the Lord, has, has the man come yet? So the Lord said he's hiding himself by the baggage. You know, when they all came up, they left their animals and their baggage and all their stuff over on the side. And Saul is back there while everybody else is up here. Now, it may be that Saul is showing humility and he didn't want to be in the middle of everything and that's why he stayed there. We just don't know. Now, here's something I want you to understand. It says they inquired further of the Lord. How did they do that? I don't know. It says, and they asked the question to God, has the man come here yet? You know, when you cast lots, you basically get a yes or no answer. Tribe of Benjamin, it's tribe of Benjamin. you know, that's how they did it. But when you, how do you ask the question, has the man come here? And you, and you get an answer, he's hiding in the baggage. Let me tell you something, just give you a little bit of view. When the high priest had his robes on, had all the, he, had a, he had a front part that had a, a thing that was about this big, and it had 12 stones on it, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Best we can tell, there were two little pockets behind those 12 stones, and they had things that they called the Urim and the Thummim. They had two stones called the Urim and the Thummim. And somehow, God gave revelation through those stones. It doesn't tell us how he did it, but it says that they would sometimes use the, the Urim and the Thummim to find out information. It could be, since Samuel is a priest, that this is how they found out where Saul was. We have no way of knowing. It doesn't tell us. All it says is they ask, has the man come? And God said, he's in the baggage. So that's what they did. They went to look for, he's by the baggage. And so look what happened. So they ran and took him from there. He stood taller and stood among all the people. He was taller than anybody else. And Samuel said to the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there's no one like him among all the people. And all the people went, long live the king. So they brought him in there. Remember, he's real tall. In fact, he's taller than everybody else. In fact, everybody else's head would be about right there. And Saul is taller than everybody. And he's the most handsome guy. And so you could look at him and go, now that, that's a king. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody that looks that good. That's, that's the king. The problem is this. God looks at the heart, not the outside. And we're going to find out that Saul starts what? He starts what? Good. And why does he finish? Not so good. And so God looks at the heart, not at the outside. And, and so look at the man that God has chosen. Everybody's all excited. Everybody's all happy. And then here's what he tells and, and listen, he says, Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom, and he wrote them in a book and placed them before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, everyone to their house. Now, he told him what the responsibility of the king is, and what we know is this, that the responsibility of the king is they had to have a copy of God's word, and they ruled by the word of God. And there was a second thing they were not supposed to do. I want you to see this. This is found in Deuteronomy, so they already knew about this. A king was not to multiply. In other words, a king was not supposed to get a whole bunch of horses, a whole bunch of wives, or a whole bunch of gold. Why? If you got a whole bunch of horses, you're trusting in your army. If you got a whole bunch of wives, you're trusting in your alliances. If you got a whole bunch of gold, you're trusting in your wealth. Who's the king supposed to trust? Supposed to trust God, not all these things. And if you remember, there's Saul, 
and then David, and then Solomon. And when Solomon became king, he violated Deuteronomy 17. First of all, he sent to Egypt, and he got so many horses. If you go to Israel today, there's a little thing called Solomon's. It's not a little thing. It's a big thing. Solomon's portico, and it's where all the horses were kept. If you remember about his wives, he had a thousand wives. Most of them were alliances. And he had so much gold that it said that even silver wasn't even used because everything was gold. He violated the scripture. The wisest man who ever lived openly violated the scripture. So we have to be really careful. We have to be careful. All of us can fall. Well, look what happened. So, verse 26, Saul also went to his house at Gibeah, and the valiant men whose hearts God had touched with him. So everybody's going, yay, but certain worthless men said, how can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present. (laughs) They didn't give him a present, but he kept silent. So right at the very beginning, there's division. And instead of Saul saying, those people who don't like me, kill them. Saul said, we're not going to worry about it. The goal is unity. The goal is unity. Saul's goal was to unite the people. He starts great. He's a man of great potential. He's chosen by God, empowered, and ready to serve. Could Saul have been a great king? What's the answer? What's the answer? Yes, he could have been a great king. He started great, didn't finish well. How'd you start? I hope every one of us in this room have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've trusted, you've believed in him to give you eternal life. So we've all started. How'd you start? How you going? How you going to finish? The goal is run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Saul starts great. And we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what he does. And you might look at this and go, is that what, is that what he did? So uh, what's so bad about that? What's so bad about, what's so bad about some of that? We'll see. Let me give you some applications. Let's realize that we are equipped to serve God. Just as Saul was chosen, we've been chosen to, to serve him as well. Listen, God solves the problems. God supplies the needs. God gives the power. Just think about it. He solved the problem. The donkeys were found. God supplies the needs. He gave him the bread. God gives the power. That's the Holy Spirit. He does the same thing for us. God solves our problems. That's why we can be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let our request be made known to God. God supplies our needs. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need, and God God supplies us the power. Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19, what do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So we have it all. We have everything we need. Think about this. So God's provision for us is the Holy Spirit lives in us. Listen, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and left him. It had nothing to do with salvation. For us, the moment you believe, what do you get? Who do you get that lives in you? Holy Spirit, is he going to ever leave you? can't leave you. You don't have to worry about it. We've got that power. And then we have got spiritual gifts. And by the way, you've got the Word of God. You've got spiritual gifts. You've got fellow believers. You've got the local body. You've got all these things. Let's understand regeneration. A lot of people don't grasp it. They don't know what it means to be born again. It means to be made spiritually alive. We were dead in sin, but by faith in Jesus Christ, he makes us alive, and we are new creations in Christ. That's who we are. The third thing, just remember, let's understand leadership involves responsibilities. You've got to know the Bible and live by the Scripture. And when I say leadership, every one of us are leaders. You've got to know the Scripture and live by the Scripture. You've got to avoid the pulls of the flesh, 
power and money, and that's, that was the thing. The flesh, uh, you know, was the women. The power uh, was the horses. The money was the gold. And he said, don't get yourself wrapped up in those things as a leader, and it's easy to do it. And then number four, let's seek to maintain the unity of the body. Saul could have had the worthless people killed at the very beginning. It would have caused great division. He decided, not going to worry about that. We're going to try to bring people together. We want to seek to maintain unity within the body.